Take a risk. Take a chance. Take a dare. Play the game of the gauntlet. Here's the star of the gauntlet, Eric Marsh. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to America's most beloved motion picture game show in which two contestants pit their knowledge of motion pictures against each other and run the gauntlet! Crowd noise, crowd noise. <laughs> I hear it. The rules of the game are simple. Each week, the host selects a topic, and the contestants bring movies to debate on that topic. And today, we have two excellent contestants, Ryan from Algonquin and Andrew from Bensonville. Let's bring out these films and see what kind of silver screen smarts these two have. As is customary on the show, the earlier film is introduced first, so Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the film that you brought today? Sure thing, Eric. I'm uh, happily married. Um, no children, but have have a cat at the house. Um, studied film and and now work at a, a film festival, uh, originally from Algonquin, the northwest area of Chicago. Now, you know, now living in, in Tacoma, Washington, and uh, happy to be here. Happy to be here. So, you know, another thing I would like to say about myself is I love game shows. I love game shows. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I watched a lot of game shows when I was a kid, and particularly on sick days, it, like Game Show Network is what I'd leave on. And that's like what I'd, I'd sit and watch with my mom. And that's like what we would spend our, our sick days doing. And it's always been a bit of a comfort food going back, watching game shows, you know. And um, it's something Molly and I do all the time. We particularly love blockbusters with Bill Cullen. And I am a huge fan of especially watching them in sequence and watching like the day-to-day episodes, especially when you can tell they're shot on tape. I've talked about this before on the show, um, but that was one of the reasons I, I was so insistent about picking the film I did, or at least in my path of looking for the perfect film to bring to the gauntlet this evening. I knew I wanted a studio-bound game show. I feel like in a lot of movies... Game shows are, you know, maybe even if it's just the genesis point for it, if it starts in a studio, oftentimes it leaves the studio because a film can get a bit redundant if it's stuck in a studio the whole time. And then Andy and I kind of talked about this off air, but how, you know, a lot of late game show films kind of feel like reality TV. That was like once reality TV became something that was pretty prominent on American television, that affected what the game show movie was. So I went back and I was looking in the 80s and I came across this film called Death Row Game Show from 1987, directed by Mark Pirro, uh, who has his own company called Pirro Mount Pictures. Now, <laughs> Death Row Game Show kind of has one of those titles that's a little self-explanatory, uh, but I'll, I'll give a quick little rundown on what this nasty thing is. Uh, the game show itself is called Live or Die, and the structure of the show is that a 
group of people on death row are set uh, to face a series of challenges, and if they succeed, perhaps there's the opportunity of walking away and not being executed. Don't think there's a single instance in this film where they, they do successfully uh, avoid the, uh, you know, the hammer coming down on them. And so what we see are a variety of grotesque and scary ways of these poor convicts being killed on screen in front of a live studio audience, often with their family in the crowd. The film itself follows a man named Chuck Todan, who is a charismatic game show host and runs Live or Die. He's a bit of a controversial figure in the world of this film, uh, both beloved by some real sickos and despised by people that maybe have somewhat of a social uh, bent to their, their worldview. Not a lot of details given to to that <laughs> element in this film. It's not a particularly reflective film. However, I will say, this is the kind of sicko shit I do like. And I was very pleased with this film. I think there are a handful of moments that are exceptionally funny that made me laugh out loud. I think it's kind of front-loaded with a lot of that. Once the film tries to have a plot, you know, it runs, a, it runs a, out a bit of steam. Um, but you know, Death Row Game Show is is the type of film that you expect to find in the Vinegar Syndrome catalog. This is some Z-grade stuff that was produced for almost no money at all in Los Angeles with a bunch of weirdos. It's got a real drag through the dirt quality to it. Uh, it just all around is is fun kind of enjoyable but also a little scary and has a lot of darkness at the heart of it um it's also the kind of movie where there are characters named gloria stern virgin and luigi Papalardo, you know so that kind of thing candy colors and it is in a it's, it is in a studio and you get to see behind the scenes of what typically goes down uh well not what typically goes down but like the kind of things that are happening behind the scenes during a game show except here with a extremely high concept bent to it perhaps there's a social angle to this film and its genesis i don't know how much of that is translated in the finished product but perhaps we can chew over that together here on the gauntlet so yes that is death row game show from 1987 thank you very much Andy, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your film? Well, thank you. I uh, just want to say how excited I am to be here tonight. Uh, I've always dreamed of being uh, on the show. Uh, I'm a longtime listener, first-time contestant. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud to represent my hometown, Bensonville. I grew up in the, in the, the, the shadows and flight path of, of O'Hare Airport. And uh, there's a lot of people back home listening right now. And I, I hope I, I do them proud tonight. Um, I'm a simple man uh, with simple uh, pleasures in life. Uh, and, and that is, on a certain level, why I chose the film that I brought to the gauntlet this week. Um, as Ryan said in his intro, you know, there's, there's certainly some really good game show movies out there. Um, some that I think are, are well-trod uh, paths, 
Um, I mean, Quiz Show, I think, inarguably, is is the greatest game show movie of all. And I certainly know what a huge fan you are of that movie. So I wanted to, to try to bring something to the table uh, that, uh, you know, was maybe not so well known for, for you and, and maybe for the listeners as well. The film that I, I picked is, is uh, not nearly as I think uh, traditional in its format of a game show um, like Ryan's movie, Death Row Game Show. But, but there is, if you can read between the lines, a, a game show of a sort that is embedded within the film that I picked. That film is Stay Tuned from 1992, directed by friend of the pod, Peter Hyams. Stay Tuned is a, a story about a couple, Roy and Helen Nabel, played by John Ritter and Pam Dauber, two longtime sitcom veterans. Uh, in this film, they play a, a married couple whose, whose romance has seen better days. Roy is a, a self-described couch potato. He is a, a former fencing a champion from college who now really only wants to sit in front of the TV and watch whatever is on. And his his successful business executive wife uh, is feeling that the spark has died. And this all comes to a head when one night, uh, after a heated argument, Helen has smashed their TV, Roy's beloved TV, and, and despondent Roy uh, hears a knock at the door, and a man has come to offer him something he knows Roy desires, which is a huge TV that features 666 channels of programming that he can't get anywhere else. All he's got to do is sign on the dotted line, and his free trial and his massive TV and all this great entertainment will be his. Unfortunately, what Roy doesn't know is that this is an emissary of the devil, Spike, played by Jeffrey Jones. And once he has signed this contract, he finds himself and his wife sucked into a hellish, hellish TV land. Hell TV, I think, is, is what it's called. And uh, he has 24 hours to try to survive what is essentially a game show for Satan himself. Satan likes to watch TV like the rest of us, and they have devised this strange game where people, where souls, have to uh, 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 protect themselves, use their wits, use whatever they have at their disposal to, to literally run a gauntlet of uh, satanic parodies of some very well-known films and TV shows. Um, if they can survive the 24 hours, they will of course be beamed out of Hell TV and they can return back to their normal lives. This is really, as a film, just a sort of excuse to deliver a ton of like parodies of a lot of like, you know, 
well-known programming from the 80s and, and early 90s. Uh, apparently, Peter Hyams uh, lobbied intensely to get this film. He had read the script, and he loved it, and he just wanted it so bad. But the studio had offered it first to Tim Burton. They felt that this was Tim Burton territory. But what they didn't know was that Tim Burton was using this to simply lobby Warner Brothers to get total creative control over the project he actually wanted to make, Batman 2, right? Batman 2. Batman Returns, I think, yeah. was, was what it was actually <laughs> called. So once he was out, Hyams was in, and he went to town. And I got to say... This is a, a, a lopsided movie, kind of like Ryan's on a certain level, but Hyams is in full force and he uses this opportunity to go ham and put together a series of rather amusing uh, uh, sort of sketches and spoofs of, of popular TV and, and film at the time. It was a total commercial disaster when it came out. Uh, it didn't even recoup, I think, half of its $28 million budget. But over the years, has, like a lot of films we've brought to this pod, uh, developed somewhat of a, a cult following. But I would say, in this case, a very small cult following. And I'm happy to bring it today to hopefully, maybe, convert a few more people to this cult. Because it's a movie that I do enjoy. Uh, that is the film. I'm sure we'll get into how much of it actually is a game show and how much <laughs> of it is just a, an excuse to sort of goof around. But I think we're going to have fun no matter what. And I hope all the viewers and listeners at home do as well. So that is the film that I brought to represent my hometown, Bensonville. Stay tuned. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Uh, what a double feature we had this week. And uh, I, I, I don't know where to start because I don't really... I don't really think, you know, the game show movie is uh, a, a genre, right? <laughs> no. You know, and it was, it was certainly, like, on my part, a challenge to you. And in, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, there's a lot of great films that... Uh, you know, touch on game shows or include them, you know, even in sort of B-plot situations, movies that I love, like uh, White Men Can't Jump or Melvin and Howard, uh, you know, and of course, you know, you guys know I love I love Quiz Show, the, the all-time great game show movie. Um, but I, I didn't know what to, to, to expect, you know, or what are they going to find? You know, are they going to find these, these forgotten gems? And, uh, I want to, I want to let you both down lightly. I, I didn't love either of these films, <laughs> uh, but I, but I am very interested. Uh, I think it, it is an interesting double feature. Uh, I will say that. And uh, yeah, and just thinking about thinking about game shows and movies um, is not something I've I've done very often, you know. And it's like uh, usually the game show sort of represents uh, often this kind of like American dream or like this get rich quick uh, kind of thing, right? Uh, or you know, it's used 
as satire or a critique on on the various uh, media industries, right? And I think we have uh, a little bit of that in both uh, here. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you guys think? What do you guys think? I think it's an amazing double feature <laughs> and one of the most fascinating ones we've done. Um, because I, I just want to get this out of the way too. Uh, in terms of like how I reacted, stay tuned. I'm not a member of the stay tuned cult. I'm very glad you picked it. It was relatively enjoyable. However, I would say I walked away from that movie thinking I fucking hate this movie. Like I <laughs> hate this trash. Like this is the type of cinema I really dislike. And it was so wild then watching Death Row Game Show because the whole time it's almost like I was watching it with rose-tinted glasses thinking, this is what I wish Stay Tuned was like. <laughs> you know? I almost wished Mark Pirro directed the script of Stay Tuned and Peter Hyams directed Death Row Game Show. I, to me, this double feature is an interesting form of film criticism where both of them are showing their shortcomings because Stay Tuned just feels like you're eating fucking bubblegum. You know? It's just this cozy little bullshit comes from like a sitcom brain and it's just this like simple like the script is also obvious but you walk away and you're watching john ritter it's very comfortable it's very pleasing you know it's got like who did the score is it jerry goldsmith it feels like a jerry goldsmith score bruce broughton oh okay well it's got that kind of 90s score right that is just like a little grating for me having grown up with it and then you have Death Row Game Show where you feel like you're eating like a soiled bag of chips that you dug out of the trash. You know, when I was watching Stay Tuned, I was all I thought was like, this has so much potential and there's so many things that they're achieving. It's a very cool looking movie. But I thought this movie has no edge. It has no bite. It's so light. It just feels like as light as a feather and it's supposed to be hell vision. Give me a break. And then Death Row Game Show is a movie that upset me. Because it's so sleazy. And I was like, yeah, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I wish Stay Tuned was like. So I think it's a fascinating mixture. I mean, I saw someone comment, I think, on, on Death Row Game Show saying, this feels like a trauma version of Stay Tuned. And I do think these films do a ton of the same stuff and have a lot of the same scenes. And that's an interesting way of kind of comparing them. One is like trauma-brained, and the other one is just like a palatable picture to catch at the the multiplex. Yeah, I think I had a very similar reaction to you in that I felt things lacking in terms of like, stay tuned doesn't go far enough and Death Row Game Show certainly uh, goes too far and not yes. even in the high concept aspect of it, but the other more explicit like racist uh, and misogynistic <laughs> aspects of it, which we'll get into. I mean, it's an ugly, ugly movie yes. on so many levels. And yeah, I feel like Stay Tuned uh, is such a Hollywood you know, movie, right? And again, I think there's a disconnect between the script and the direction that is actually a sort of fascinating point to, to or kind of line to navigate through the film. Because like you said, Hyams directing with total conviction. And I was thinking on a certain level that the film is, you know, posits itself as being sort of critical of television and against television. Uh, but then why all this stuff is supposed to be on television and he's directing it like movies. It's all very confusing to me, but I did come away thinking like on a certain level, 
this is Peter Hyams' Griffith film. Mm. And if you think about it like that, especially because it, it could sort of concludes with this big French Revolution set piece, literally using shots from Orphans of the Storm, I mm -hmm. swear to God, mm -hmm. like the close-up on the guillotine, like clicking, like that's from Griffith. And then I started to go, right, so like Hyams is, is feasting on the cross-cutting between the real world and the TV world. He's feasting on the cross-cutting between the channels. But ultimately, it was a film that Kyle and I you know, sat through and we just, we didn't laugh, you know, we just didn't laugh once, maybe once or twice, but amusing, but not a, it didn't, it didn't hit, you know, mm -hmm. in that way. I think that it's, it's a very, like I said, it's a very like lopsided film. And I think what I ultimately appreciate about it is, is kind of what you described, which is that I can see all of the problems. I can see all the things that, that make it a, an incredibly like flawed film, the kind of, it's a head scratcher. It's a film that you watch and you walk away from going like, what? was the plan here right and and you know me like you know we talked about um in in a previous episode you know i i guess i've always been like a termite uh art guy where you know these are the kinds of films that i i can go in and i can nibble away at certain aspects and find things in there that i really like to to to, to chew over and i think that's it you know it's like this is a film which is um filled with pieces of, to me, very, uh, like strong filmmaking, but it's, it's, it's not a good story. If that makes any sense. Oh, Generally yeah. speaking, I don't give a shit about story, but the problem being that if it's devised to be an adventure story, it's devised to be a sort of riff on so much of what was popular in Hollywood at the time, whether it be, you know, Back to the Future or, you know, Goonies, you know, these kinds of adventure tales with a rousing theme tune, you know, a, a nice score behind it. Like you can see all of those elements in here, but you can see Peter Hyams hamstrung a bit by this idea of creating something that, as you put it, Ryan, like should be hell on, on TV, yeah. but it's like a PG movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the ultimate failure is that if this movie was, was an R rated film devised solely for adults, I think it would would be that sort of like like bringing the two films together is essentially what you're saying would make the perfect film here, which is why yeah. it's a sort of interesting which pairing. Is, which is basically a description of Wes Craven's Shocker, right? At least the last 30 minutes of, uh, you sure. guys remember Shocker, yeah, right? Yeah, they go yeah. in to do the like uh, channel channel hopping. I mean, really, oh, this, yeah, yeah. this all goes back to Sherlock Jr. But yes. uh, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I mean, like to me, there are there are moments in this thing that are like, you know, as a sort of sketch, as even just a minor moment uh, outweigh the entire film as a whole. You know, I think that's that's really what what sticks in my mind. And it had been a while since I'd seen it. So I, I was sort of like, hey, you know, I think that there's something in here and there are things in here that I do think are a testament to like Hyam's skill as a both director and cinematographer, 
But on a, um, again, a, a sort of microcosmic level more than like a sort of like macro cinematic yeah. whole, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have a similar approach with a lot of these Vinegar Syndrome films too, where I come in with these expectations of, you know, most of this will probably even feel like dead air, even if it's gross, but it'll be kind of typical stuff I'm used to. And then every now and then there will be something really interesting and really perplexing because of whether that's through the production or just a goofy idea that they had. And I do think that this movie has a lot of it. I would say I think it's front loaded. I, you know, Marsh, you mentioned you didn't laugh during Stay Tuned and, and I didn't either, but I did laugh out loud a couple times in the first like 20 minutes of death row game show and i actually think that the game show at the when he does like the full game show at the beginning is a really authentic portrayal of a game show that like translates well to film because the game show starts you know they're picking up where they left off last episode which i liked it wasn't just the game's fresh right at the top and he he brings someone out and i I remember that the hardest I laughed during the movie was right at the top when like one of the first quizzes or questions that one of these contestants is given is like name this movie and it cuts to what looks like some shot on video horror dreck of a mummy uh, just crawling around going god damn motherfucker piece of shit son of a bitch and I was like oh hell yes like this movie's gonna rule because <laughs> I was like what the fuck is that like who put something like that in their movie and then the joke being oh it's curse of the mummy or the mummy who curses or something like that stupid lowbrow shit but it's just it's such an odd move you know, and I, that's what I like about these movies where it doesn't feel like something I'm, you know, that you would expect in a Hollywood film. You've got moments of total lunacy and derangements peering around every corner. And yes, a lot of it comes from a very dark and scary place. This is a movie with lots of darkness in it. Um, but I was laughing quite a bit for at least the first half of it. I don't know. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I, I didn't have a lot of laughs really between <laughs> either film this week. You, you know? didn't think the slow children was funny. I mean, the slow children uh, sort of, I mean, kind of, I mean, it, it didn't make me laugh. I'll put it that way. I mean, I was certainly. Yeah, well, let's let me it, clear the air know? really quick. I'm not talking about, they're not talking about children that are like mentally yeah. slow. The joke in the movie is actually kind of neat where it's, you know, it's one of those signs like slow children because there's children crossing and instead it's children walking in extremely slow motion as the cars pull up in regular speed. That made me kind of laugh, but sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to <laughs> no, clear no, that I, I mean... wasn't laughing about slow children. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, they probably need a little bit of context there. Not to say though that the film isn't also populated with some very like, uh, nasty and and yeah, very mean spirited jokes at a lot of a lot of people's uh, expense. Oh, but yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I mean, I I I mean, look, these are these are these are movies that we uh, I think all collectively could say. Like, if you looked at your letterbox, there aren't a lot of people logging them, and uh, there's there's a lot of reasons like why <laughs> you know there's a lot of reasons why. But yeah, I mean, again, like to me, it's like. You know, I'll, any film that I watch, I will find things in it that I can appreciate, you yeah. know, even movies that that I would say to you, I hated. I could say I appreciated this. I appreciated that. You know, and I wouldn't say I hated either of these films, um, but I would say that, again, 
my appreciation of both films is wholly <laughs> piecemeal. I, I can put it that yeah. way. I think that describing fractured visions fractured, tonight. Yeah, <laughs> fractured vision. Dude, I mean, like, look, both of these movies are a really good example, too, of, I think, some of the failures of, like, high-concept filmmaking, which is that you can come up with a great idea and you can get everybody in there and you can set it up and you can introduce the concept and the jokes and then you have no idea where to go from there, really. Yep. You know, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's what happened to both of these films, I think. And obviously, like, in one case, in the case of Death Row Game Show, when you struggle with where to go, when you think about what the film is, well, how about some tits? How about some bad jokes or whatever, you know? How yeah. about... How about another dialogue scene, you know, between the mafia guy and, and some chick, you know? Um, and you can get crude and, and you can always fall back on suddenly something uh, shocking or gross or twisted or deranged. And like, that's what the film is designed for and to be. On the other hand, in, in Stay Tuned, like Hyams, when he struggles, he can't suddenly go like, all right, let's just do something really gross or twisted here. He's got to tie it back to this, this, I mean, let's be honest, $28 million budget in 1992 is, is not small change, you know, like yeah. he's got executives breathing down his neck. Uh, he can't go off the rails. He's got to keep it PG. He's got to keep it family oriented. He's got to make it that kind of like, you know, family redemption story, which it ultimately is right. Like mm -hmm. the TV stuff is all there to prop up what this film is really about, what a lot of other Spielberg era bullshit was all about, which the is restoration like restoration of the family. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of divorce in America right now. How do we, how do we, maybe a good adventure can, can bring, you know, mom and dad back together. Right. Uh, that stuff sucks. I hate that shit in this movie, you know, but uh, really again, like that, that's what's going on. I think ultimately in both of these films, it's like that there are some, some wild ideas, some, some really like sort of amusing moments, but, but I wouldn't say that either of these movies made me guffaw. Sure. <laughs> you know? sure. I mean, that's why I didn't describe the plot at all of death row game show. Cause it's not even worth talking about. It's so stupid. It had, the movie had an idea and then they tried to come up with some plot about the mafia and some like, I don't just know. Just spending any time with that guy's life is just, uh, you know, like, <laughs> well, but see, life? there's also, there's something there too, though, that I kind yeah. of like, and it's with these movies like this, like American genre cinema, cinema that gets restored and unearthed i still feel like i walk away sometimes like this accidentally captures something right well, of course it's like too raw and strange and freaky and there is part of me that did kind of like the depiction of the game show host in death row game show because i'm like okay some sleazy la piece of shit game like on some low rent game show this is might be what his life is like i kind of liked that guy's performance you oh know? yeah i mean uh john mccafferty who plays the the you know the 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 host of the the titular game show uh is is i think like really solid in yeah. his like delivery of that very like canned uh shtick of of the, the, the television game show host. Like, he's got the look. He's just this sort of generic 
handsome man, you know, with, with a nice like side part and his nice like thick head of brown hair and his white teeth, you know? I mean, he's, he is, when you picture a game show host, like this guy, you know, embodies that on a, on, on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. And I think he does do like a really good job with, yeah, just this this sort of sleazeball, empty, vacuous uh, media personality who who cannot have any sort of self-reflection. And even when the movie tries to give him some, of course, it just rings totally <laughs> phony. And, and it should. Hey, meathead. You talking to me? I don't see any other meatheads around here. Keep looking. I'm sure you'll attract them. Not unless you brought your wife. I'm not married. I'm not surprised. Well, it's been a pleasure debating with you, but the show's over, and I'm a very busy man. Oh, working on a new game show, perhaps, uh, writing for dollars? Not bad. Submit it to my writing staff. You're a pompous ass. We all have our faults, Miss Stern Virgin. I'm a pompous ass. You're an unattractive woman. And by the way, for folks who who have no familiarity with the name John McCafferty, I think that's um, probably simply because all he seems to have ever done is just be in this guy's movies, Mark Piero, like that's all I could <laughs> yeah. find on him. He's so, his guy. Yeah. yeah, he's his. He's his. You know, he's his muse. Apparently. Yeah, I think you know one thing that we can maybe connect connect them together with is. Uh, something that that struck me immediately for for both of them is the the postmodern quote unquote quality of these films, and of course, mm-hmm. I think that makes sense in the late '80s and early '90s, right? This very, uh, you know, this this. T- turn in cinema in general that was very self-reflexive in, you know, this ever-increasing media age, you know? And certainly during, like, the era when, like, cable really started to sort of blow up and and people felt like, wow, TV's unregulated now, right? Because of cable, because of suddenly having access to programming that the FCC would never have allowed on NBC or CBS or ABC. So, you know, beginning even with Videodrome. Yeah, it all goes the, back to Videodrome. For sure. Like the early eras of like cable television where it was like, oh, wow, I can just pay for this service and I can get really sick. Oh, shit. You know, like, of course, Cronenberg predicted it. And and so did, uh, you know, Brian Oblivion. <laughs> right? I mean, that scene in Death Row Game Show is a total rip from... Videodrome. Like, am I wrong there? When he's on TV having a debate with a stern virgin, that yeah. is literally the yeah. scene of James Woods and Blondie, like yes. going at it. It's just the, it's like the shot the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was saying anyway, like the both films have a winking quality that sort of yeah. goes like to the viewer, like, well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, they're doing that all the time. I mean, in the case of Death Row Game Show, they have a gag worthy of stay tuned where the character has a nightmare and the nightmare has credits and yeah. a, a voiceover saying this is a nightmare and like making fun of the idea of the cinematic dream sequence, like positioning the film above it and then delivering like a a rather fun dream sequence that I liked a lot. It's like, you know, shot in the studio with very like cool lighting and then cutting to other points in the film, you know? Yeah. Even if it is a sort of like, you know, um, uh, ham fisted limp, 
limp, you know, whatever uh, uh, attempt at sort of also making fun of David Lynch, yeah. you know? Because isn't it directed by David Blinch? Isn't that the Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's directed by David Blinch, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the nightmare sequence, yeah. you know? But yeah. yeah. I mean, I loved that total, like, break. And again, I think, like, Ryan, to your point, like, what you can find in films like this and and shall we say even in like the parlance of how we've been just describing tv a very like sort of unregulated form of like filmmaking where there aren't people sitting there going like you can't do that you can't right. put this in here like like those things to me i will always appreciate in in this kind of um in this kind of movie making and and that sense of like who cares I want to do this. I'm going to do this. I I certainly always will will get behind for sure. Yeah, I think there's an interesting distinction between some of the postmodern flourishes that the films do share, like some of the exact same ones and how they deal with it. And I won't like talk about how we reach the end of these films, but they do end in a similar way. And I, I wanted to piggyback off of your postmodern idea, Marsh, because I think it's something that, one of the reasons I did kind of like Death Row Game Show and struggled so much with with Stay Tuned. So on the hell vision of Stay Tuned, when we go through all these channels, and we'll talk about these in more detail, but there are all these parodies. And there are all these shows where they alter the title a little bit, and then we have a series of gags. And we'll again, we'll detail those as we go on. I don't want to like to take up too much time just going through those. But the end credits of the film are a series, it's like a TV, and it's a series of what seems like all the ideas that they scrapped and just like didn't bother to film, but are just like a series of punts. Oh, uh, they're so bad, too. They're like murder she likes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, that yeah, one whatever. made me laugh, but yeah. So, But that is, they are like kind of so bad and stupid. It's just, they're just like revising the titles. However, the finale of Death Row Game Show, he does have all these dead bodies that he has like now has to do something with, and so we get all these fake advertisements at the end of the movie where he has to repurpose the bodies of all these people that were on death row that he killed on his show in order to sell products, like showing how strong some glasses are and he's like smashing their heads into the table or the watch where he sticks the guy's hand in the blender. Yeah, exactly. Like showing how indestructible this watch is. A wood chipper before Fargo as well. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We've been asked to show you the gripping power of the new Acme Chew'em Up Tree Shredder. But so, I mean, there's, it's, they're both stupid, but when it comes to the way they interact with postmodernism, I did like still find something very perversely fun about the death row game show approach to media and advertising and thinking about, you know, how can we repurpose all this shit? Like, let's take all these dead bodies that we have that we've executed because the state has deemed them no longer should be allowed to live and we could use them to sell products. That to me is like a, a great idea. Like that is like an extremely funny postmodern gag. Uh, so yeah. I, I got to give credit to Death Row Game Show there. Sure. I mean, I think a great postmodern gag is the is how Stay Tuned correlates uh, signing, to me, signing a deal with Comcast as literally like 
Faust. Yeah, you know? that's true. Like, that's good. Oh yeah. And I found that to be like so inspired. It's like, especially too. It's like you're gonna get a free trial. You know? <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, yeah. Oh my god, this is the most prophetic fucking movie of all time. In that moment, that oh, like yeah. we're gonna be in that's these like true. you know bondage contracts with Xfinity for like 20 years of my life. <laughs> you Don't know? you want the faster speed? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, uh, totally. Yes. Roy, wait till she gets a load of this. 666 channels of heart-pounding, skull-blasting entertainment. Comedy, drama, hot oil aerobics like nothing you've ever seen, brother. Unlimited entertainment snatched from the ether and slammed into your brand new 44-inch, 900-line resolution, three-way expanded matrix Dolby stereo TV, right? Here, Roy. A new TV? Straight from the temple of high-tech. Make this thing look like a film call. You know, some people would give mm, their souls for a system like this, figuratively speaking. Just sign here, and we're in business. I, I, I can't. All right. Good night, Mr. Nabel. Did I mention the... Uh, Free trial. Free? Yeah. The, and, and again, I, I also don't want to say that I, I, I don't think that any of like the parodies in Stay Tuned weren't, you know, funny or, or um, <laughs> you know, like. Oh, I think a lot of them are funny. Because I, I, I think that the, the ones that really do hit are the ones that are, again, I think a lot nastier um, and darker. Like there are some like dark there are some like shades of of darkness in Stay Tuned that that are just sort of like buried in there because again this is like a PG family movie and and Hyams can't go whose decision you know, was that it's just it's baffling to me. well the, this I mean clearly the studios again I think that's like a, the big difference it's like you know again one is one is is uh, a, a man who is free. To do whatever the hell he wants because it's it's his goddamn you know fifty dollars or whatever he's he's spending on the movie and and the other one is a, is a massive budget with with I'm sure a ton of studio executives looking over his shoulder constantly who also own the TV who also own the TV right I mean he can never go as hard as he wants because essentially the the, the character of Spike is his boss, you know? And and if it has to be in like, oh, well, hell, right? It can't be the real world because in mm -hmm. the real world, like we're, we're good guys, you know? We're just trying to entertain the masses here, you know? And it's like, you know, you have to set it in this, this total fantasia. But like the one that I, I again, to, to describe like what I'm talking about, like, yes, um, Three Men and Rosemary's Baby is of course like, soft you know whatever it's it's the scene in three men and a baby where they're singing the child to sleep but then the you know the satanic baby vomits on one of them like that's all right whatever yeah. but uh i think right after that um sadistic home videos it, it got me i loved that one the whole setup is that it's supposed to be like candid camera and this cop goes to a woman's door this elderly lady and he knocks on her door and the whole premise is just that he tells her like your husband's name was stephen buff was what do you mean was did your husband drive a 1978 chevrolet impella what are you saying yes, something happened to my stephen tell me 
Now watch her reaction to the bad news. I'm afraid so. I think it's time for Mrs. Barth to be let in on the fun. Don't you? Mrs. Barth, look across the street at that van behind me. Look really carefully. Is that a... It's a camera, yes. Wait a minute. You mean... Uh... Yes, Mrs. Barth. You're on... Statistic hidden videos? <laughs> you're Bob. You're Bob. I'm on TV. Oh, you guys. Oh. And I, that I fucking love. Just the, the premise of this prank just being about telling like a woman her husband died in a horrible car accident. Like that darkness, I appreciate. And she's you know? stoked too, which is a connection between both films because she's like, oh my God, am I on candid camera? Yeah. And she's like hyped about it, which is obviously in a way tapping into something sick uh, about uh, Americans mm-hmm. and media culture. And in Death Row Game Show, even in the beginning, there's the, the family of the guy who's getting his head chopped off. And they're like, if the head is face up, you get $10,000. And they're like, all right, honey, make sure your head's face up. Let's go, you know? <laughs> and like, again, I, you know, that's a strong opening yeah. when you've got like the family of this people like rooting for his head to roll a certain oh, way yeah. into a basket. And like, he's and he's also not like the, the guy who has his head in the guillotine is not like freaking out. You know, right. he's just like, all right, Chuck, you know, he's given it his all. But he's delivering all of his lines like face down, looking into the, like the the you know the decapitation bucket. Both or films whatever. have guillotines, yeah. Yeah, both yeah. films have guillotines. That was one of the moments I laughed the hardest was when he was just like, "Okay, Chuck," when he was explaining <laughs> yeah, yeah. that his head was about to be to be lopped off. The one thing I would say about the the candid camera. That one strangely didn't hit me as hard only because I feel like I've actually seen that prank happen when kind of like the dark ages of YouTube pranks where it seemed like people were making those kinds of jokes all the time. And so there was some sort of reckoning of like, this isn't like, this isn't a prank show. Like that kind of stuff's not funny. Oh Um, God! The one that I was my favorite of all of the hell shows is, is (laughs) the one because it's so funny to me because I can imagine I'm trying to imagine like what every episode would be and how it like expands into a full show is there's two old men sitting on a couch and they're kind of just chatting and then they just start start talking about how they're in pain and they're like and they both die and paramedics run in and it says different strokes and (laughs) (laughs) like that's just a one-liner gag but I could that was the one thing I couldn't stop thinking about and kind of like laughing to myself is the idea of what is a whole season of different strokes? Like, how does this show work? And then I started inventing the rules in my head of every night we've got old people just having strokes on camera. And like, how much time (laughs) do we spend with them before that happens? That was a funny thing to consider. That was a very dark idea for a show. See, that's the thing. It's like, it's like, those are the things that like when I think back on this film, like I always go to, it's just like those, those little snippets where I'm like, Oh, that's, that's cool. That's funny. That's sharp. That's whatever. But they're, they're embedded within the very like typical kind of adventure story that Hollywood was, was just trying to, to, to just, 
crap out left and right at this time. But like, yeah, that and, and th some of the other ones that they would make fun of, like the shows even, like Northern Exposure. Uh, in this case, Northern Overexposure, which is described as a, a doctor from New York who moves to Alaska and complains about everything and then dies of freezing to death or whatever. It's like, all right, cool, man. Like, that's that's nice. Starring Rob Morrow from Quiz Show. Yeah, starring the great Rob the Morrow. The real Northern Exposure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it is what you were saying, Andy. Like the stuff when it's just about a married couple kind of working through their marriage on the rocks throughout all of these goofy set pieces, that stuff's intolerable. And it really reminded me of, you know, for for our listeners who are gamers there's that new game it takes two a relatively new game and i like now i'm convinced that that game is directly riffing on stay tuned um i could not find like any any connection online of people referencing this fact but it feels like there are moments well, no one's seen stay tuned you know yeah <laughs> it feels like there are moments of dialogue lifted from that movie into the game because the game is is so stupid and I won't really describe it, but it's it's a very fun game to play though, and that's why there were pleasures to be found in Stay Tuned. That it's kind of a correlation between these two things, but yeah, it's like a couple with their marriage on the rocks, and then they're turned into little dolls, and then you keep going through all these set pieces. They're all radically different, full of different mini games. So it's like a series of challenges, and then it's the moments when they sit and they're talking about their marriage. The guy's voice sounds like John Ritter. <laughs> in this movie i think wow. it's crazy how much they have in common maybe it's um, ai john ritter mm -hmm. oh that's true i hadn't considered that wow man do you guys remember when john ritter died on did you ever see that episode of uh what's the show eight simple rules for eight dating? simple rules yeah did you see the like john ritter's dead episode of that no show? I, I i probably saw like a clip of it because you know it was like all over the news you know when when he died and and look it was a loss certainly for um you know sitcom entertainment i mean ritter is i think like a great comedic actor great comedic performer i, yeah. I don't want to say underrated because i think most people agree that like they just like him yeah <laughs> yeah i mean like and and honestly like you know he was a great stage actor which often gets completely overshadowed by uh by his like sitcom work and and the fact that he never really quite like blew up as like a movie star although you know? we saw how good he was in peter bogdanovich's they all laugh yeah That's true. oh That's yeah true. i mean honestly he's a great actor and and for again this movie having like a lot of flaws and holes and and issues i got to say like it is it is salvageable, I think, mostly because of how earnest he approaches it. And and Pam Dauber as well, who was, again, another, like, sitcom veteran. Uh, she was uh, Mindy from, from Mork and Mindy. And I think that, like, the bad script aside, like, they give it their all. And, and I think that can can carry you through the 90 minutes or oh, this however. movie's less than 90 minutes yeah, i mean that's like that, yeah, yeah you know and that's ultimately why it was also like yeah totally painless you know i didn't love it but it's like it's it's tight and it just moves it just goes it's hyams right so like he's gonna make this propulsive thing whether you like it or not i mean i was looking back on his filmography today just going like did he make any comedies you know and, and it's really. sort of like to me it's like uh 
the Brinks job, you know, like I love Friedkin, but I just cannot get into that movie because I don't think it's funny. And I just go like Friedkin, you shouldn't have directed this, <laughs> shouldn't have directed this movie, you know, yeah. like this, there's something off about it. And I, fe- <laughs> I feel like, again, Hyams very much throughout this film is making a horror film, making a noir, right? He's, he's showing off this incredible range of genre filmmaking, but it just doesn't gel. It just doesn't gel. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's it. I think that's why, you know, I mean, you know, everything I read was that like he, you know, read the script and was like, please let me do I mean, yeah. like, he well, was he's a TV there. guy too. So I'm sure he felt some connection to it there. Yeah. I think he saw these, I think in his brain, he was like, this is how I'll shoot this sequence. This is how I'll shoot this sequence. You know, he wasn't like, reading the story, he was like, ooh, I get to, I get to, you know, I love fucking Griffith. I'm going to do some Griffith in this, but all oh, like classic Chuck Jones to animate yeah, an entire right. sequence I mean, of the movie. Right. You know? Which we haven't even mentioned, but there's like a, you know, one of the, 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 the segments they go into is like a, is a cartoon, a full fledged cartoon. And, and if it looks and feels like classic Looney Tunes, that is because Chuck Jones was was behind it, co-directed that entire sequence, was doing the illustrations. And and I also read what I found interesting about it was that was done before they shot anything of the film. Like, they basically started with the Chuck Jones cartoon sequence and then built the movie around it. Like, it was done, like, they were working on that, like, six months before the actual like principal photography of the film began. And like, again, taken for what it is like that, that's awesome. Like that you also have, have that, that it's like, he has the mind of a director to, to go like cartoon sequence. I'm not going to do it. What should this feel like? If it, if it wants to feel like a goddamn Chuck Jones cartoon, I'm going to get Chuck Jones in here to like oversee this. And so each of those things, like, yes, stylistically formally like they hit from his ability to to frame them to shoot them to 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 light them but yeah i mean what it's what it's in support of is like indefensible on a certain level you know yeah well when thinking about what preoccupies peter hyams and and why he made this movie it's actually very easy to find out what were mark piero's preoccupations and obsessions and the reasons that he you know works on films and continues to try and work on films andy did you come across mark piero's website oh god no no i I did learn marsh also encountered it yes um it is it is a site to see it is piramount.com named after his production company. And it's clearly a website that it's still maintained and there are still updates to it. But it is, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. It is a treasure trove. First of all, the thing that I was like immediately taken by was that Mark literally makes the on-cinema, on-location videos, (laughs) like earnestly. On his website. <laughs> They're exactly the same. They're shot on his phone. He goes to locations all around LA and he's like, anybody know what this is? And then he'll fade to the clip of the movie and then it'll be like direct address, camera pointed at his face being like, this is the famous location from 
Alfred Hitchcock Psycho, 1960. Oh and then he also, like, there's just everything you can imagine, like Pyrophanalia, which is like a bunch of his, uh, like, props from his movies. So you could buy, like, rectum guns and stuff like that from his, oh. his like, other, like, low-rent horror stuff. So you got to believe that, like, Greg Turkington and Tim have visited this website, I, right? I mean, like, I, I can't imagine they did, but it's it, like it just, really kind of just like a type of L.A. guy, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, too, yeah. you know, I mean, it's almost like he's Damon Packard in like the wrong direction or a different right. direction, you know, just like the L.A. movie buff slash low, no budget auteur is a is a whole different breed. Oh, yeah. Know? Right. And it's got like all his fan mail digitized so you can see people from around the world that sent him some some wild letters. And then in particular, from June 2022, he has uh, a video called Want Abortion? Two question marks. Come from a backward state? Question mark. Pure amount will help you. Aww. And it's like a whole video of him saying like, here's what I can do to help people that are affected by new abortion laws in Texas. Good for him. That yeah. that you know. Yeah. That slightly redeems what I feel is is a certain uh, misogynistic tone to well, a so, lot of the, see, but, the, the material. Like, here's here's the, the thing. I tried to watch like thirty seconds of that video, and very near the top, he's like, "You may have seen all of these other women who are on the streets protesting abortions existing at all, but those are." primarily woman that you would never want to sleep with anyway. It's oh, like, oh, God, dear dude. God, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I came across uh, just a fucking random letterboxed sort of comment about Death Row Game Show and said, uh, it's like Daniel Tosh directed UHF, and I can't shake it, you know? I can't shake it. That's awesome. That <laughs> Shout is... out to whoever wrote that, because that... <laughs> that... That nails it. I mean, Jesus, that is so good. Uh, but there, I mean, there are still things that like I laugh about when I think about Death Row Game Show. Okay, well, we got to talk about the fucking spaghetti then, because that's like obviously, to me, a very standout part of the film when the gangster Luigi is just like spewing spaghetti out of his mouth oh, and like gross. it it was like I mean, you know, I did get in a good way, Ryan, you know, a bad vibes way. I got some like Doris Doris Wishman flashbacks while while watching some of this movie and especially the way that gangster guy uh, sort of moved around and delivered his lines. It was sending me back to uh, you know, what's uh you know, Chesty Morgan's like gangster boyfriend. Yeah, double agent seventy three <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really like Luigi's mom. Uh, oh who, gee, oh, who wow. is just like this old woman that like is wearing stripes and gets confused as a death row inmate. Uh, and then gets like accidentally put on live or die. Her voice is like all fucked up. <laughs> yeah. First of all, it's a man dressed yeah. as an old woman hunched over, you know, um, and and yes, they they do some like, you know, post effects on the voice. Sit here, ma. Right back. Such a good boy. And it comes in like very high pitched and like distorted, like very obviously like distorted. Like it was, it was, um, it was like, ugh, it was making my hair stand on end anytime she was like talking. <laughs> like, ugh. and again, yeah. like for 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 this thing being like a totally like 
you know, off the wall deranged uh, journey into like one man's um, childish brain. Like, yes, like I appreciate those those absolutely like confounding kinds of uh, of choices that he would make creatively speaking. But yeah, the old lady who does get press ganged into what um, running through rings of fire carrying cans of gasoline and the the premise is uh if she can not blow up by spilling gasoline onto the rings of fire then she will she will win but of course i'm sure you can imagine uh, she doesn't win well she see that's does. the thing though the game was rigged right because she she does successfully make it through all the hoops and then there's a platform that has two lit candles on it and that's where she's supposed to put the two gas canisters and the it has sort of like a false top to it so when she puts him down it starts sinking in and it falls into presumably like a bucket or something and that's when the the gas cans are lit by the candles <laughs> so to be honest you know bravo to her because she you know she was hunched over and really struggling but she like made it through the rings of fire only see, then to be blown up by a technicality see i knew in his in his you know uh, man, in his movie, like I knew this old lady was toast, you know, as soon as I saw the striped <laughs> shirt and, and the fact that it was Luigi's mom, I knew that she was, she was done for her, 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 her screen time was, was, was counting down from that moment on. But I kept thinking, man, I would, I, you know, I just, I would have thought it would have been so much funnier if she just like rocked the competition like like because she does like win that but if she just kept like winning like this pathetic old lady who clearly physically can like barely like get down the hallway to go to the bathroom by herself or whatever i right, was like i was like, like toilet paper out of her dress as she's walking down the hallway <laughs> oh my god not just like just like draped all over her head too it's just like <laughs> everything is like turned up to 11 like the sight gags the visual gags like they're turned up to to 11 and she just wants to see make a big deal <laughs> yeah. which, which tapes yeah. next door yeah she, and she thought she was on the show you know like yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I I was amused by that, but I agree with you, Andy. Though if she had like just kept winning and foiling like his game show, like she she was just unstoppable, that would have been much funnier. Yeah, but that's not why she was there. She was there to die, as all these people are there to die. And I guess that's one connection between the two films. These are yeah. game shows that have been devised so that you you will fail. In fact, like when. Uh, Roy and Helen first enter the very first part of their twisted game show is an actual game right. show set. The yes. thing that a introduces them. Beautiful game show set. Yeah, with that like great, again, a great like TV host guy who has like one very prominent like silver tooth in, in the front of yeah. his mouth. Um, but the title of the game show when they enter Hell TV is of course And welcome back to Welcome our new contestants, Roy and Helen Nabo. Do you know the rules of our game? What game? You can't win, and it's devised so you will, of course, like not win. Both of these are set up 
to be that, right? I think it's it's more explicit in Stay Tuned that the the yeah, because no there's one, a clock too, right? And like no one's ever won except as Eugene Levy points out. Whether they go quickly or not, in the end, they always join us. Well, not always, sir. I think you're uh, forgetting that the one wiry little Peruvian chap. A mistake, Mr. Crowley, that will not happen again. But, but in Death Row Game Show, of course, the you know, the the Watkins esque, if you wanted to be generous, <laughs> uh, uh, a satirical critique of the prison industrial complex would perhaps be that these death row inmates are all going to die, and they're supposed to die, and so these games need to be devised in such a way that they will, of course, all be executed on live television for our for our pleasure, for our entertainment. Did you guys catch in Stay Tuned that Jumbotron that showed like the contestants or other people that were running the gauntlet of You Can't Win? Did you notice one of their names was Marsh? I oh, didn't. I, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. I did so. see Saddam Hussein up on the board somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, go, go and revisit that and um, you'll notice Marsh, your name's on the Jumbotron. Kind of nice. Wow. I did like on the You Can't Win show one of the prizes, the... The napper crapper, which is like that, like luxury toilet chair that uh, also has a TV attached to it. That's kind of nice. You know, I've, I feel like now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like that set piece in particular is kind of indicative of, of where this movie like goes wrong a lot of the time, right? Because there is another good bit where the game show host is basically grilling them about their personal lives. And I'm thinking like, Maybe we could have used a little more of that to like actually get their dynamic and not just rush yeah. through it as an adventure. Uh, and even at a certain point, they're they're threatened to be like dropped in a pit, and they don't show us what is in there. It's a great right. point. I thought that again when I watched it, and I that mean, to me is is just a huge oversight. I'm thinking, what would Stuart Gordon do? Right, he'd be shooting from inside the pit, looking yeah. up at like in a deranged angle. You know, like mm -hmm. it just it missed opportunities. You know, because it's a fun setup, and I'm thinking, all right, we're gonna get the rules. We're gonna we're gonna look. You know, we're gonna, they're gonna get grilled about how their marriage sucks or whatever, and then it's just off to the next one instead yeah. of. You know, digging into that. That's funny. I hadn't even thought about that, but it, it would have, I think, benefited the film if it kept returning to the game show. Like after yeah. they finished a sequence, they were brought back. And then depending on like how they answered a question about themselves, there were like a selection of different hells that they could go to next. And then that would like lead to the next chapter. That's pretty good. But we got to be in the board or like the command center, the TV command center with Jeffrey Jones and Eugene Levy. And I feel like Eugene Levy, every time he popped up was a welcome presence, oh, but yeah. he's just lacking partners in in some of those scenes to really bounce off of you know yeah he does i mean look it's fucking eugene levy yeah, right just... i got to imagine even some of his little bits especially when eugene levy pops up in the you know off with his head the the french revolution miniseries you know the prestige miniseries <laughs> some of his like asides that he's just yelling to the to the to the you know the the revolutionary guard or whatever like i got to imagine some of those were ad-libbed because they seem so throw away you know just like nice day for an execution you know like <laughs> they're just so throwaway, and they are delivered in like his perfect cadence you know but yeah what is it serving like again unfortunately not much you know yeah. I, again i i think that 
as I said earlier, like so many problems in stay tuned are solved if it's rated R. Like, because <laughs> yeah. then you, you can go there. Like, it can be grosser. It can be, it can be bloodier, you know? Like, there are moments where it, it creeps, like, right up to that line, and then it just backs off really quickly, you know? Like, pop out. Let's get out of this world. Let's go check in again with the plucky young, you know, kids and, and see how they're coming along, you know? Like, I mean, again, like, the marriage stuff was is lackluster, but, like, the kids shit, anytime they jumped out of the TV world to the real world and just showed us this child. Yeah, wished I could change the channel during yeah. some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. my fucking yeah. God, I hated those kids. Did you catch in a very funny moment of just, like, uh, laziness, I guess, that when there's the moment where the boy is about to be sucked into oh, the... Yeah the satellite and he's riding his bike away and then the idea is that the satellite kind of sucks him up in the air and he's like lifted up into the sky <laughs> did you i'm sure you both saw it like you oh, could yeah. see for almost a whole second the hands of a grown man like lifting the boy <laughs> up in the air oh yeah oh yeah hell yeah <laughs> dude hillary like, <laughs> hillary yeah. my my girlfriend who god bless her you know has like terrible add even like peeked up from her phone and went look at that guy's hands you know <laughs> like, it is so obvious that, that, you know, you cannot miss it. I mean, yeah, God it's damn. so funny. One thing I think that's a major failing of Stay Tuned when it comes to the game show and having uh, the cinematic representation of a game show is the products and how th- I feel like there was a missed opportunity for them to be selling, like outside of the Napper Crapper, selling inventive products to the consumers of hell because that is so much of what a game show is but there's really only one consumer in hell lucifer (laughs) Ah, that's a good point that's a good point um but that you know because that's something i liked about death row game show because so many game shows are just you know platforms to sell shit and for all their sponsors and all the products to go on display and i kind of like that stuff It, it reminds me of the um uh, boy, what is that Harun, Harun Faraki movie called, Marsh, of all the advertisements? Do you remember that? Day, uh, the Day in the Life of a Television... A Consumer? Uh, the yeah, Day of the Life of a Consumer or something like that? Yeah, maybe maybe I'm getting the title wrong, but the Harun Faraki, The Day in the Life of a Consumer, where the whole film is like, a, a, a guy wakes up and then eventually goes to bed, but it's his full day and it's all compiled through advertisements. And I, there's that quote about Faraki saying, you know, there's nothing more intolerable than watching an advertisement in the present day. But when you watch advertisements from the past, there's something captivating about it. And it's like, when does that shift? Like, when does it come be, change from like, this is the worst thing in the world. I hate looking at advertisements to, I find this fascinating and consider it like an aesthetic artifact. Cause well, nostalgia I see really, is a huge part of that. Well, for sure. For sure. When I used to get so mad at the game show network when I was a kid, because for a while, they when they would get to the prizes, they would like make that smaller, and then they would advertise the next show, and you couldn't hear the prizes, like the consolation prizes that everyone was walking away with. And that's what I liked about Death Row Game Show, because like in between the actual competitions, they were selling stuff. 
So they had out the um, the wool gabardine silk hood for the execution, you know? So they're, like, selling, like, look at this, like, nice. Our sponsors provided us with this beautiful hood that will make for, like, a very comfortable hanging. You know, I liked that. I liked the TV commercial where they give one of the uh, convicted felons, like, something to eat. And he's like, oh, yeah, it tastes pretty good. He's like, oh, yeah, see, this is our best rat poison that, like, convinces <laughs> all the rats that it's it's real cheese and then that guy dies on the side of the screen so i i appreciated the advertising element of death row game show because to me that is like a huge part of what a game show is although you know they do have a couple commercials and stay tuned and i don't think that all of them are are super uh funny or or whatever but but one that i really do like in stay tuned is the advertisement for yogi beer the child beer that's being (laughs) marketed and like in this commercial It's like, you know, the the premise being that if you drink this non-alcoholic beer, you can be just like dad. And they like show a, a, like a horrible parody of like an alcoholic, abusive dad and like, you know, a a, a Dago tea, a wife beater, something like being mean to his wife. And then the kids being nasty to his mom. Like I liked Yogi beer. I thought that one was pretty dark and funny, but yeah, like silencer of the lambs is maybe a little too, (laughs) yeah, the muzzle for the kids. Yeah. A little too on the nose. And and again, trying to like, you could see all of the minds that were jumping in on this and being like, what's in right now? What do people recognize? And this is 1992. This is right after Silence of the Lambs swept the Academy Awards and was on everyone's mind, you know? But yeah, like, yeah. That's it. You know, some of these things in that regard you will watch now and and maybe just get a fleeting recognition of 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 something from the past, maybe in this way you're describing Harun Faraki. But again, it's not anything that's that's going to like make you, I think, uh lol while you're sitting there. But yeah, I just think so many times it, it fails to go beyond reference. There's yeah. there's the potential again for a, a good gag when the kid is watching the TV and it's like uh, meet the Mansons or whatever and and the the you know relative to the film is that the young Charles Manson is riding this kid's bike that got sucked into the satellite. But that's it. We just see the title and a kid riding a bike. Yeah. I'm like you you going to give give us an image to go with like this Charles Manson show or is it just a pun yeah. you know right. again in like in in a much in a much like you know in like vinegar syndrome shit like it would have been like leave it to beaver but he would have had a swastika carved on his forehead you right. know it'd be like, like the opening yeah. or yeah the opening of uh you know natural born killers with rodney dangerfield you know like yeah. that level of tv parody oh yeah I mean, mm-hmm. I can't stop thinking about one of the most disgusting jokes in Death Row Game Show. Really dark stuff. But when you talk about, like, they, they didn't go far enough. Like, this is worth <laughs> Like, this is a joke that goes so far, but, like, still kind of works for me. Is when they're kind of, like, going through the run of show for the day and they're getting all the contestants ready. And, like, ah, I just got a call that, you know, John, one of our contestants, he was, he was gang raped in his cell. And they're like, oh, geez. And it's like, I mean, yeah, he's still going to go on. He's just tired, you know? And I'm like, that's fucking, that's live tv that's game show media right there you know like it's so horrifying but it kind of works yeah but see i think i think and this is why it ultimately you know as a whole like unsettled me at times because some of the jokes um you know i i couldn't tell what was meant to be you know 
satire and what was also like the line between a satirical comment and just a, a oh, yeah. cheap lowbrow, you know, uh, uh, you know, kick to the groin. It, it, like some of that stuff did not sit well with me. And I got to be honest, like there was one sequence in particular that like I was like, oh, my God, where they have a contestant come out at a certain point. Uh, and, and, you know, race is certainly playing a big factor in this particular, like, depiction at this time, but it looks like a very, like, malnourished black man, and they're, like, basically the whole premise is, like, what's he gonna choose between uh, uh, a woman or, like, this chicken dinner or some shit like that, you know? And, like, man, that, that almost verged on, like, just bad minstrel shit to me, and, and I, I, like... I can't help but feel like again. There's there's maybe a, a, a point that maybe he was maybe trying to make, but like man, some of the shit just verges way too into like I don't know, man. This feels kind of like <laughs> this feels kind of racist. I mean, this feels kind of shitty. And like again, I'm not gonna accuse Mark Pirro of being a racist, but like man, come on, you know, like you know, to to really go those places sometimes you need a scalpel and not a sledgehammer. Yeah, there's no reflexivity there. It's not a thoughtful film. This film has <laughs> not actually considered even a little bit the repercussions and the morality of capital punishment. This film is just treating that area of government as like a circus, you know? And yeah, like that scene is so horrible that this movie kind of should be just lit on fire. Uh, so I, I totally agree with you there. Um, but that was something I kept thinking about. And that was one of the things that bummed me out the most was like, this movie is just like not even thinking about, you know, there's no moment where they're ever thinking like, is capital punishment <laughs> like okay or not? <laughs> you know. Again, I, I I don't think that any of that was even like crossing his mind. You know, he's right. just sort of like grabbing a bunch of people and trying to make some 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 shtick. It was just happening. Yeah. 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 The dance of the seven boners is <laughs> is inspired. Uh, but this the scene where uh, a group of Mexicans, uh, you know, like slash the tires of a car while being ADR to saying burrito. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. that shit was insane, you know, and it yeah. just goes it goes into uh, this is this is pointlessly cruel uh and that's and that's all fine and good you know uh, uh sometimes for me but you know i'm not i'm not as much of a you know a hardcore guy like ryan over here yeah uh, I'm a, i am know. a sicko but yeah like that there's there is some unredeemable shit in this movie um, and that but that's also again you know I think this it shares uh, with Stay Tuned uh, the the happy ending because he does get a happy ending, right? And and this film is is interesting because of all the like the you know the id going on and like the the things that the director didn't see, right? But like at the end of the day, like he he then murders people like who who weren't even on death row if that was defensible. He murders, you know, just normal people, right? Uh, and then he gets a happy ending, just like the family in Stay Tuned. So like, I mean, I think the the where both of these movies go are to just like completely delusional places, yes. uh, which is interesting. Well, you know, it's funny. They both share a criticism 
delivered by a character in Stay Tuned. You know, again, one of the other like little like Hollywood jokes is that uh, Spike, you know, the, the Mephisto of, of Hell TV, uh, has a has an intern in the control room, and and we discovered that of course he's a recent USC grad who did a, his, his thesis on Kurosawa and Spike Lee. Uh, but that guy, uh, Pierce, I think is his name. Eric King plays him in the movie uh, from Dexter. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Dexter alert. We got to start Dexter alerts. Um, uh, He says to Spike, you know, one of his issues, one of his criticisms of all this programming of the show that that Spike's put together is it's lack of subtext, you know? And you could argue that that essentially Pierce is, is talking about both programs, both you can't win, I guess, if we'd call it that, and stay tuned, and the Death Row game show. That yes, that's no, it's it's very true, and I, you know, it's it's worth pointing out my my favorite line of Stay Tuned uh, that hits really hard is um, you know Spike is played by Jeffrey Jones. Um, Talk about problematic, no, you know? yeah. Known, <laughs> oh, known, known pedophile, right? And it was kind of amazing that this movie like ends with someone saying, "Sorry, Spike, you're canceled." Oh like, yeah. yes, yes, Jeffrey Jones, indeed. <laughs> well, seemingly canceled. He still seems to like kind of get some work here and there. But yes, a one of the OG canceled figures. Look. Look, yeah, there's, there's, again, the way I described the films earlier, um, I think it's appropriate now to like get into it a little bit more, right? Because Marsh already brought up the sort of like ending of Death Row Game Show. It's like they, they don't know how to get out of these stories. Death Row Game Show yeah. completely fell off the rails to me. And I mean, like, it was, it was like teetering on the rails for, from very early on. But but like yeah, once they really get into all the shit with Luigi and and Stern Virgin and like they just kept cutting away to like this bad the Italian dinner. Day, yeah, the Italian dinner and just Awful. like a series Truly of interminable. Yeah, just see of that's him, when like, like you're at the drive-in like fucking your gal in the car. You know, all like right, that's that's right, what happens on. with this movie. The good stuff's at the beginning. Take it easy, all right? You know, take it easy. Uh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm watching the movie. Man. I'm eating my popcorn, you know? But, <laughs> but like, stay tuned. Again, in, in a total sign of this being just some some horrible amalgamation of like things that the studio probably wanted and, and like, how do we make this thing commercially viable and, and not just within the movie, but outside the movie. First of all, it has, aside from that score that, that Ryan described, the soundtrack is entirely also made up of hip hop songs like like hip-hop like 90s hip-hop songs and the real stumbling bumbling absolute like face plant of stay tuned is that the climax after setting up all these amazing worlds to play in that have tension and conflict like spaghetti westerns like a noir detective film like a, a, a corsican swashbuckler buckler via you know errol flynn this movie climaxes in a salt and pepper music video. Yes. Where there's no conflict whatsoever. It's just Jeffrey Jones dancing a little bit awkwardly and John Ritter dressed up like Prince 
dancing awkwardly with some very confused other performers and Salt and Peppa sort of trying to flail around and do their thing. It's just literally like a, a three-minute Salt and Peppa music video. Yeah. And that's it. We are truly in the age of synergy here in 1992. I mean, Warner Brothers putting their thumb on the scale. I mean, you know, (laughs) on on the one hand is something that in theory, you go, did John Ritter in a salt and pepper music video? Could be funny, I guess. But it doesn't doesn't come together, you know? And I think that's the thing that sort of you already brought up, Andy. It's like, uh, stay tuned. They got to go to hell to be like, TV is bad, right? But what's the, you know, what's the horrifying truth of it all in reality, right? It's this. It's that they're trying to sell you records and a movie, and they also make, like, missiles or whatever, right? You know, depending on which station you're watching. uh, That's the reality. It's just a bunch of old rich guys, you know, who own these television stations and other, uh, you know, global industries. You know? I mean, we don't have to do it, because I I don't think anybody wants it. I don't think the listeners wants it, but it's Baudrillard, dude. It's Watergate Disneyland, 100%, you know? Yeah, Disneyland is the only place where you you uh, subject yourself to a consumerist fantasy of always being a child, right? It's just in Disneyland. The rest of America is a very serious grown-up place, you know? Yeah, yeah TV <laughs> TV in this case, yeah, this this hell vision is like Disneyland where where you know, executives are just you know doing whatever the fuck they want it's like nah man that's that's the world outside you know hell tv should be the paradise that we all flee to but but really it's it's outside where everything is is the real hell that kind of reminds me uh watergate disneyland so i you know watching death row game show i never bothered to like rewind if there was something i didn't totally catch uh, but did you notice that there was like a picture on Chuck's wall of Richard Nixon? Oh, was yeah. he like was the joke that he was at Richard Nixon's wedding or Nixon was at his? Uh, he, one of the one of the two, or they were just okay. at a at a function there, or a wedding together. Yeah. yeah, there's like these bad photoshopped pictures of him like with Nixon, and then another one with with uh, Ronald and Nancy Reagan like having like breakfast, and he's just like inserted himself between the two of them. But mm. yeah, I think the joke there from Piero's perspective is to say, well, and of course this guy's also a, a conservative stooge you know right and there's a little bit of a, a jab towards him there too with his own like male fantasies where uh stern virgin when they're driving down the road says where did you learn how to drive from ian fleming oh bondalore of course yep <laughs> yeah i lit up at that you know and yeah uh, i mean what what is there left to say i mean i guess it's sad if you think about it and stay tuned that, that, you know, again, talking about it's sort of like confusing approach to like postmodernism that, that probably like the, the, the most amusing moment of recognition is just simply when John Ritter jumping from channel to, to channel winds up in three's company right. and looks directly into the camera and screams, you know, yeah. it's like or through the looking glass. Yeah. What else are we supposed to do with that? You know, like, right. Ah, great. <laughs> 
Well, you know, one thing that I, I, I forgot to mention, um, to piggyback off of that a little bit is, you know, you talked about the hidden camera show where the woman is told like, oh, your husband's dead. And then it's revealed. Yeah, he sadistic wasn't. home videos. Like I said, it didn't totally hit for me. What really hit for me was the variant on that in Death Row game show when behind, there's so, like a mother. It's the like the man who mainly sells the products is standing with the mother and says like she's going to help us with our glamour X tape test. Now, Mrs. McKinley, I want you to tell us: is this the live sound of your son Lewis or the sound of glamour X tape? Keep listening. Mama, help me, Mama. Jesus Christ, Mama, he's going to pull the switch. <laughs> well, was it live or was it glamorous? Um, it's, uh, it's not live. Please, God, it's not live. I'm sorry, but it was live. However, your son's probably not anymore. She hasn't seen her son for five years, but she can enjoy those sounds forever because we recorded the event on new, improved Glamorex tape. As Mrs. McKinley... No, I There is no band. That is like some top-tier sicko shit. I, yeah. like, I thought that was very funny because like that is like a scary idea, but it feels right in line with American consumerist advertising. So a little bit, yeah, it's... Death Row Game Show, to, to cap it off, I mean, it's a, it's a foul, foul thing. But I, I do think that occasionally some of its jabs, especially towards the advertising element of, of game shows, um, I think work for me. Yeah, I think these are both um, these are both sort of like, you know, not great movies, you know. But I think um, one would be one that I think you could probably watch and not feel guilty about. And the other one you'll watch and I think walk away feeling a little dirty. And we all know, Ryan, you like that feeling. But but maybe, (laughs) maybe not everybody. I think, yeah, depending on who you are, you might have either of those reactions to either of the films. For sure. You know? Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, I mean, what did we learn about game shows? Uh, I don't think a ton. I mean, I think obviously... (laughs) Uh, I think that both films are using the game show as an entry point into satire, into some kind of media critique. Um, But But then don't know where to go with that. But don't know where to go. Yeah. That's true. Well, I think we've, I think we're running out of time here on the program. I guess we, uh, I guess Marsh, we we lost, didn't we? The game show. Yeah, I was gonna show. say it was. Uh, oh, no? bro, yeah. No uh, one's you, going home with a prize. You both tonight? spun uh, the wheel of fortune and uh, came up empty tonight here, but it wasn't mythological for... hero Achilles. <laughs> 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 it wasn't yes. for a lack of trying. No, it is. Uh, yeah, sitting here, I do see it's it's a sorry state. Uh, the scoreboard between us two <laughs> contestants here, but you know, uh, one of the things that's nice is we get to walk home with some consolation prizes uh, from some of our sponsors. So, Marsh, tell us about some of your favorite <laughs> game shows that we could we could game show films that we can take home as uh, some consolation prizes this week. Well, uh, you know, the aforementioned quiz show, uh, I think, is uh, one of the great American films, and I'm not being facetious. It's, uh, you know, it's it's corny in a certain respect, but it's also just a, a great film, a historical film about uh, 
our country and our uh, our fraudulent ways mm-hmm. as a, a nation of, of con artists. Oh, yeah. Uh, so love that shit. But, you know, I know you guys deliberately sort of avoided uh, the kind of like most dangerous game strain of, of game show, right? Where, yeah. you know, people are hunted uh, for sport on television or, or whatever reason, right? There's a million of those movies, some of them very good. Uh, but shout out, of course, to... The Running Man from 1987 by Paul Michael Glazer. Uh, Of course, a childhood classic for me. And, uh, you know, also a corny film, but it's got pure Richard Dawson energy and, uh, and Schwarzenegger. Well, yeah, and the, and the classic Arnold. But, you know, the, the sleazy host has never been better, and I love that uh, aspect of the movie that brings the real game show world into its dystopian uh, sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the issue I think that we encountered was, like, when we sat down at first. Like, we could see a lot of titles, but but I was like, yeah, well, it's it's like... It's Quiz Show and The Running Man, and then it's a whole lot of other, yeah, knockoffs, essentially. Of yeah, that. there are so many Most Dangerous Game game show films. Like, it's yeah. even a subgenre of the Most Dangerous <laughs> Game, like, genre, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, it was it was certainly a pleasure playing the game of the gauntlet with you all here tonight. It always is. So uh, thank you, thank you. And uh, it's too bad there wasn't a winner because, uh, you know, I, I didn't reveal earlier, the prize was uh, my Chris Cunningham music video set signed by him with a Hitler mustache on the Bjork robot. Wow. Wow. Okay. And no one wow. gets that. I Damn. get to keep that. Going home empty-handed. That's... I just get to go home singing the theme song of Death Row Game Show. Yeah, very funky, lots of bass. <laughs> you know. Well, uh, these were... Well, this, yeah, they were your picks, but it was it was my show. Ryan said I was the star at the beginning, uh, yeah. but that time is over. You know, the program has ended. Next week, it is of course Andy's topic. What do you have for us this time? Uh, well, you know, these are dark times in which we live. Uh, I think we all can agree upon that in in many respects. Um, you know, recently I watched a, a really great film, a movie that I hadn't seen before that that I I really really um, had a great time watching uh, Francesco Rossi's Illustrious Corpses, and uh, among other things, it is a great uh, 1970s descent into paranoia and you know when i look around these days i see again this sort of like you know endemic paranoia that seems to be uh, affecting so many people whether it's the QAnon jerks or whether it's a lot of other people out there who simply see conspiracies in their soup uh so i figured let's Let's go there. Let's confront that. So next week, I'd like us to descend into paranoia. I was going to say, someone's looking over my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Gauntlet Movies or send us an email at gauntletmoviepodcast at gmail.com. 
Thanks, everyone. The high post. Roy? I have an idea. Great. Congrats. You know how proud I am of you. Pass it. Pass Okay. You go ahead. I'll be there in four minutes and 16 seconds. Right. Yeah. Let's go away like we used to, to the mountains. Okay. Just the two of us. Great. No phones, no kids, no TV. No TV? They don't have TV there. Is that a plan? This is abnormal. You're just shutting yourself off from everything and everybody. Are you having problems? Is it me? Yes! No. Is it work? Are you having trouble at work? What makes you say something like that? Shoot, you idiot, shoot! The guy's just The one thing we always promised each other is that we would remain honest. Right, we are honest with each other. Look. You say that I'm shut off, that that that, that I, I, I can't open up to you, that I'm closed down. Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something that, that's very important to me. And I'm gonna be completely honest. I just, I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way. Talk to me, I can take anything. We're in double overtime here. Thanks, sweetheart. Could you mind moving just a second? This is unbelievable. You couldn't do it, could you? You couldn't listen to me for, for two minutes without that stupid television being on. When I married you, you were a doer. And now all you are is a watcher. All right. Huh.